Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon, Celtics fans, and welcome to another edition of CLNS Radio Celtics Beat. I'm your host, Rich Conti, and I'm excited that the 2014-2015 season is officially underway. We'll be talking about the Celtics' impressive win in the season opener, as well as tonight's game on the road in Houston with Mark D'Amico, the digital content manager for Celtics.com, the official website of the Boston Celtics. Before we get to Mark, I want to welcome my co-host, Dr. Andre Snellings of Rotowire, who is joining us today from Hawaii. How are you today, Dre? I think I can faintly hear the waves in the background. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm joining you from paradise today, so I'm trying to soak up all of this heat because um, it won't be long before I'm back in Michigan in the snow. So Exactly. I think there's a, isn't there a big uh, snowstorm going across the northern states uh, right about now? I'm safely ensconced down in South Carolina, so I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> oh, joy. Well, as I mentioned in the opening, the season's finally underway. No more wondering about what the preseason games might mean. We get to see the real thing and start to see how the season might play out. Of course, the Celtics pounded the Brooklyn Nets 121-105 to in the opener, and it wasn't nearly as close as the final score makes it seem. What do you think, Dre? Can we take anything from an impressive opening night win like that, or was it just one of those, you know, on any given night type of things? You know, I mean... Early season, it's the same question we had about the preseason. We're like, well, you know, do we read into it or do we project it forward? Um, you know, it's the first game of the year. It's outstanding. It's better, you know, than, than, than the preseason because everyone was playing and really trying to win. Um, we can't, I don't think, look at that and say, oh, hands down, this is going to be a playoff team this year. But what we can say is that the team played really hard. They played really well. Um, you know, as, as we may talk about a little bit later, their their schemes on offense and defense really seem to to confuse and overwhelm Brooklyn. And so, um, you know, those are all positives to take from this. And then Rondo being able to come back early and being able to, to play as well as he did, um, I think that's a, a, a very positive sign as well. So I think we can look at it and say, wow, you know, that was great. And, and there are some things that we've learned that – we may be able to look for moving forward. Um, but, you know, as you know, we have to, 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 it'll be a little while before we really see what this team's shape is going to be. 
you know, one thing that you said that stood out to me was the part about playing hard, and I think that was a big part of it. You know, Brooklyn was, of course, missing Brooke Lopez, who missed the game uh, with an injury. Uh, but beyond that, even, Brooklyn looked like they kind of came out a bit flat. And that's, I think, going to be a big thing for the Celtics is the energy level. And if they can maintain that, you know, they can they can compete with people and beat you on any given night if, if you don't bring your, you know, A game. I think, you know, some of the teams maybe at the top, maybe the Cavs, maybe Chicago, maybe a couple of the teams out West can maybe coast by with less than 100% effort and, and beat a team like the Celtics if, if they're really bringing it. But, you know, just effort will go a long way in this league, particularly in the regular season. And I think if Coach Stevens can really keep that effort level up and keep the guys focused, locked in, bought in, and out there working hard, as you said, I think on any given night they can surprise folks. And more often than not, over the course of an NBA season, that's going to translate into wins. And I think that's really the the stage this team is at, you know, absent of any big moves down the road, the way they're going to start to develop is by recognizing that by playing the right way and playing hard, you're going to be more successful than not. And I think that's the the stage of the development that they're in. Um, I, I think another thing that I hope we can kind of take forward going through the rest of the season was the balance they had offensively. They seem to really be making a concerted effort to share the ball. There were some points in the game where they started to kind of drift a little ba- a bit back into that that one-on-one game that really they're, they're not suited for. But for the most part, the ball moved pretty well on offense, and that really resulted in fairly balanced scoring. Uh, you know, Kelly Olenek had a really good offensive game. Sullinger chipped in with some points. Green started off hot and then, you know, had a nice little stretch there in the, in the fourth quarter as well. And I think, again, that's going to be a key for this team going forward because they don't have that superstar other than maybe Rondo and obviously scoring points isn't really the, the the crux of his game and so they have to kind of keep other teams off balance if they're going to you know as you said overwhelm them or, or even uh, compete with them and so you know, that's something I hope they really maintain their focus on uh, going forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, just kind of starting with the effort comment, um, you're right. In the NBA, it is, it's such a long season. It's, we've talked about it a bit on, on this show at different times, um, whether it's too long or not. But, but when you have a, a season that's a marathon, it's 82 games, and then for teams that have playoff aspirations, you might get up over 100 games uh, over over the course of a season. Um it's really difficult for teams to play all out every night. And so a lot of times you'll, you'll catch teams that are coasting. Now, I wouldn't expect in the first couple of games that the teams are coasting because they're excited after the offseason, um, but you can still catch teams that just are slow starters, which maybe Brooklyn was the other night. But, you know, to, to your point, if the Celtics – are able to be that team. They've got a whole lot of young guys, a lot of young athletes, guys that should be able to wake up in the morning and sprint, whereas the old guys have to <laughs> stretch and, you know, get their mind into it. Um, the, you know, they, they can catch some teams. And I don't know if you remember last year, there was talk coming into this season as to whether the 76ers would be the worst team ever. And then they broke off to, you know, this quick start and, and got a handful of wins that were surprising teams. And I think they were doing it purely on effort. And and, and then at some point, talent weighs and it, it starts coming back. Well, the Celtics, they can play on effort, but unlike last year, they actually have some talent as well. I mean, we don't know that it'll be 
contending type talent, but Rondo being healthy gives them uh, something to build upon. And and then you know you mentioned the balance. I mean, they had they went ten deep with, with everyone scored at least six points. And um, you know a guy like Evan Turner, he's coming off the bench. He was starting last year for at least for Philadelphia. He comes off the bench and gives you ten, seven, and five in twenty four minutes. And it, it's talent like that that can help to to. If your top-end talent isn't maybe up to speed with some of the better teams in the league, having that type of depth in conjunction with that type of energy um, gives you ways to, to bridge the gap and stay in these games. So, yeah, I, I do think that that's something that the Celtics can try to build upon. And also, just the uniqueness of the way that they're playing the game right now. Um, there was concern about Olenek and Sullinger defensively. Could they really be strong enough to in the interior? But this is a team whose defense is, seems like it's going to be from the perimeter in. And so you've got these ball hawk guards. Um, you've got a guard leading the team in rebounds. You know, Rob Rondo with seven. Um, and, and that's probably not going to be unusual. And so it lets them maybe play to their strengths a bit, even if it's not orthodox, and perhaps they can get some success from that. Yeah, I can definitely say the Nets, uh, even though it was opening night, didn't look excited. Although, I will say Lionel Hollins looked like he was agitated <laughs> at various <laughs> points in the game. But, uh, you know, you referenced Rondo, and one of the big stories on opening night was, of course, his return, thanks to apparently a hyper-therapeutic nap regimen that he has in place, and he declared himself <laughs> fit to return for the opener after his nap, and, you know, initial estimates had him missing the first couple of weeks. He quitted himself pretty well, going 24 minutes and, and flirting with the triple-double, particularly offensively. He looked really good orchestrating the offense and, and pushing the, the, the pace a little bit. Uh, what, what were your impressions of, of his first game? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it was really anything you could have expected. I mean, it came down to the wire, right? It was maybe an hour or two before game time that yep. they announced that, yes, he in fact was going to play. And so when when you're coming from that type of unknown to, as you said, flirting with a triple-double, you know, and and um, he was finishing well from the field. I mean, obviously, the free throws weren't what we would want him to be. I think he went over from the line. But um, other than that, he he did the things that I would have liked to have seen him do. And the the Rondo's big strength, as we've talked about, is he a number one option? Is he not a number one option? Um, whatever you want to call him, his big strength is facilitating for the team. And the worry, or at least one of the worries that I had um, going into last year when he was going to be, quote-unquote, the man now that everyone else had moved on, was that you know he might be tempted to try to do too much on his own and try to take too much upon himself. Um, so you look at the opening night where he's out there, and as we mentioned, everybody on the team had between six and nineteen points. You know, so it was a very even, distributed, everyone gets to to do their thing type type of performance. And you have to to credit the point guard with a lot of that. So so that was. That, I think that was a very strong opening performance for Rondo. Yeah, I distinctly remember talking to you going into last season about how my biggest concern was was just that. What you talked about, that the pressure to be the man and really take charge of, the, of this team going forward was going to cause Rondo to kind of fundamentally alter his game. And, um, you know, obviously the, um, you know, the, the slow return from the injury uh, really kind of changed all of that. But... Uh, I, w I was similarly glad to see that it, it really hasn't. I mean, he 
came into the game and, and really wasn't looking to score. He put a, a couple shots early, and you could see he was a little bit rusty, having not really played any preseason games. Uh, struggled, you know, to finish his first couple of shots. You know, missed a couple of, of layups that he normally makes. But then there was kind of a moment in the third quarter where you know I think maybe the. The, um, the offense had started to bog down a little bit and the Nets were maybe backing off of him a little bit that he got a little bit more aggressive offensively. But for the most part, you're right. He was out there running the show. And you know, the more I think about him and think about the perception of Rondo around the league, I, I, you know, I start to kind of bristle at the word facilitating, and I know, you know, uh, when when you use it, when I use it, we mean it in a complimentary fashion. But I think it's almost also become a, a bit of a, a derogatory thing that folks sometimes use with him, as as in, you know, somehow the skills he brings are just kind of merely a, a supporting role, right? He's well, he's out there facilitating, but he's not really <laughs> doing it, right? And and I think that really um, doesn't do justice to the things he does on the basketball court, which is really impacting the game and, and controlling the game without scoring the basketball. And and you could see that the other night. I mean, he got Tyler Zeller so many easy looks off of pick and rolls and just his ability to see angles and to not just see angles as they exist, but to see them unfolding and, and kind of make that split second pass right at the right time and just the timing and the vision. And those skills are so valuable in running an offense. And especially when it puts you in the position of not having to rely on one or two guys, you know, that, that a defense can frankly scheme around. Look, look at a guy who's just a, a tremendous scorer and you're one of the most skilled scorers the NBA has ever seen in, in, in Kobe Bryant. And look what a guy like Tom Thibodeau as a coach can do to him. You know when when the mm. when the team has the preparation and you know in a, in a final series and the ability to focus on him, he can turn him into a six for twenty four shooter. Right, because it's one guy, and and that is so easy to scheme around. I would much rather have a guy like Rondo out there, you know, who's able to create for other people, you know, as long as people are moving and there's spacing and there's ball movement, and and that's the thing I think at times when the Celtics offense in the past has bogged down is when that there hasn't been that movement. But I don't know that you can you know completely lay that on Rondo's feet and say, well, it's you know he's a ball stopper and this or that because the stats don't really bear it out and the eye test really doesn't when you actually watch there he's he's always continually probing an offense he isn't just you know the defense he isn't just pounding the ball he's trying to you know find and, and create angles and you know with a with a team with younger legs like the Celtics have now and you've got guys that can have more movement out there and you have a coach whose offensive scheme is really centered around movement honestly I think that plays right into Rondo's strengths and I you know I hope we see that continuing to unfold over the next couple of weeks yeah, definitely. Um, and as you were as you were getting started, and you were talking about um, the whether facilitate is becoming a dirty word, you come really close to pushing me up onto my soapbox. Um, uh -oh. because, you know, it's just I am I'm I really get disgusted a little bit with the concept that scoring is the only thing that matters, um, and you'll hear. As you said, it's almost like code words. You know, you mentioned the facilitating, but you'll hear people say, well, this guy's a number one option, and this guy's not a, a, a real number one option. Normally when they say that, number one means he's going to score a lot. And there are so many different ways you can contribute on the basketball court, and I think the biggest uh, misconception is it's not hard to be the best player on the team if you're not 
the best scorer, you know, and and so if you've got a situation, I mean, off the top of my head, you know, bring up the, the, the mid-2000s Pistons, and you've got a situation where, hey, well, Rip Hamilton is the best scorer on the team, but he wasn't the best player, you know, and so, like, if 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 you, but if you put number one option out there, and you say, oh, well, you know, Ben Wallace and Chauncey Billups, they're not real number ones. No, but they were clearly the best on the team, and so, um, you know, bringing that back to Rondo, I don't think you have to be a dominant scorer to be a high-impact player. Um, now, we've talked about in the past is, is you know, at least as far as the plus-minus stats go, is Rondo a, a, a true really high-impact player? That is something that, you know, we can discuss based on what he's done in the past and we can project on what he's done in the future, but that's completely independent uh, uh, as to whether he's a dominant scorer or not. And as far as the Celtics team, um, I think that, this is a really good time for a team like this because we just saw last year the Spurs dominate in the finals without having that type of front end. Hey, this is the number one option exactly. You know, they they, they were a strong team. They had um, uh, defined roles. They had a great scheme. And um, one of my friends on 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 a, another uh, site that that. Uh, like a message board, um, was breaking down the record of the Spurs without their three best players. Because, you know, Greg Popovich will be quick to sit Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker and, and, and just play games without them. And so he's done that often enough that it started to be a bit of a a, a library of games you could look at, you know, with, with enough sample size for it to be interesting. And even without his three best players, the team is still able to essentially break even um, over a lot of games um, because his schemes are so strong and he doesn't worry about focusing in on any one player. And so with that as a bit of a template, um, perhaps the Celtics, you know, can use that and, and say, you know what, we've, we've got this group of players, there's talent here, there's unique talent, but if we can fit them together and, and scheme appropriately, you know, they can still be competitive. Yeah, and I love your discussion about the the ways in which you know players can impact games. And I'll, you know, I'll bring up another example that Celtics fans are familiar with: Kevin Garnett. I mean, look at his heyday with the Celtics, and he wasn't their leading scorer, but the way he impacted games defensively, and not even through statistics, just by his quarterbacking back there, his positioning, his ability to protect the rim, just by knowing where to be on the court, and his ability to kind of orchestrate that five guys on a string deep. Defense. Tell me, what, what would what would you rather have if you were building a team? That or Carmelo Anthony you know, scoring <laughs> from the wing? You know, as, as wonderful a scorer as Carmelo is, it's it's really hard for me to look at that. You know, both with the eye test and looking at the numbers and saying, well, geez, you know, you, you really do need that guy to put the ball in the bucket. So I'll, I'll start with Carmelo rather than a you know a prime KG on the defensive end. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it's you. I mean, you know my answer to that, but and I, I think. Uh, you know, you mentioned numbers and, and how things may or may not show up there. I think that's why I'm so partial to the plus-minus stats because you can't stat pad there. Yeah. And so, and they're also numbers. They're also ways to kind of quantify how how things are going. And so, you were mentioning uh, KG's defensive uh, effect. So, remember that 2012 playoff run where they where the Celtics ended up making the the um, conference finals and yep. and pushed Miami to seven games. And and so. Um, I was tracking the plus-minus stats that postseason, and yeah, Garnett had good box score stats. You know, he—I think he might have been the leading scorer on the team that postseason. He was up around twenty and ten, and you know, he was doing really well that way. But 
his plus minus was absurd. It was like defensively, the team was 35 points better on defense, you know, per 100 possessions with him on the court than with him not. And in the playoffs, sample size gets to be an issue, so I wouldn't read too much into that 35, except for to say I've never seen a number that high for any other player in any other playoffs over the 10 or 15 years we have these stats available. So, so yeah, it's you can be having a huge impact on a game without being the one that's putting in 35 or 40 points. And, um, you know, yet uh, it's been one game, but, but Carmelo's ability to put in 35 or 40 points didn't didn't help him too much uh, in his opening uh, <laughs> opening night blowout loss. So That's right. you know, it's just there's a lot of ways to, to to contribute to this game, and and I think we have to always be mindful of that and, and not focus on any one thing. Well, and speaking of KG, of course, he was in the house Wednesday night for opening night. He had kind of a difficult night, not so much on the court, but in being on the other end of Geno time for the first time, I believe. And, <laughs> and he was very complimentary of Rondo, but also of Celtic coach Brad Stevens' schemes, calling them clever. Uh, are there some wrinkles that you think we're going to see from, from a Brad Stevens' coach team this year, and particularly in contrast to last year? Yeah, I, I do think so. Um, you know, like so, some of the the, the quotes, that, um, or some of what KG said about it. For instance, he says, "quote They do unorthodox things like sticking a big in the corner, having the bigs roll, lots of pressure on the smalls, and that's exactly what we've been talking about, really, for all summer. <laughs> um, uh, just especially once it became clear that that uh, Kelly Olynyk really was going to be the starting center. It's this is not going to be a traditional team. Um, you can't just." post up Olenek. <laughs> you, you could post up Sully some, but I mean he's a bit undersized on offense. And, and you can't just let them be the defensive anchors on defense, but you funnel everything to them and have them defend the rim because those aren't their strengths. But to, to Stephen's credit, he, he, he knows this. You know, so he's not going to try to build a traditional team. He's going to say, you know what, Olenek's seven feet tall, but he's got range after 22 feet. Let's go post him in the, in the corner on the three-point line and bring their center out the paint. Um, Sully also has been working on his three-point range. So, you know what, maybe we put him on the other side and, and get both big men out the paint. And then now there's plenty of space for Rondo or, or Green or, or Turner or whoever to go to the rim, and, and the opposing defense is now off-balanced in, in situations that – they're not necessarily prepared for. And so those are schemes. Those are things that the coach can do to, to impact the game. And um, I, I think that Stevens, to his credit, seems to really know his personnel and seems to, to know what they can do and, and, and what they can't. And so, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you set up a defense. You've got Rajon Rondo. You've got Avery Bradley. You've got Smart. You've got all of these athletic, quick, ball hawk guys so build your your defense offense in. I mean, I'm sorry. Build your defense perimeter in, and and and, and let the pressure be applied on externally, and and see if you can disrupt the opponents before they even get into the paint. And so um, take some pressure off of your own bigs. So yeah, I I I enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed the comments because you know. Let's face it, Garnett isn't always the most complimentary to the opposing team. And, and so I think that you can take that as something that was sincere and, and not something that's just put out there for lip service because that's not really what he does. 
Yeah, and you and I both work in technical fields, and and one of the things we talk about, particularly in in my uh, discipline, is you know analysis versus synthesis. And and you look at a guy like Brad Stevens, and I, you know, who's very studied in his approach, and I think, you know, it isn't even just a case of him learning his personnel. I think last year was you know him intentionally going into the season and learning the NBA, and and mm-hmm. you know it, you know basketball is basketball, but but there's some significant differences between the way the game is played at the college level and the way it's played. At the NBA level, and he showed at the college level his ability to kind of understand the game and get the most out of his talent. And I think last year was that that kind of learning process for him. And I think this year you're seeing him start to stretch his wings and and explore different things he can implement to you know to really create some advantages for the team. And and you know I think we'll 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 see a lot of that as the season uh, rolls on, more kind of tinkering and, and trying different approaches. Well, game two of the 2014-15 season for the Celtics is tonight in Houston against the Rockets and old friend Kevin McHale, an early season mini Texas trip. Uh, Let's bring in our guests to talk a little bit more about opening night and look forward to tonight's game. Mark D'Amico is the digital content manager for the Celtics and Celtics.com. Our interview with Mark is brought to you by the world-renowned Beats and Eats podcast featuring CLNS Radio founder Nick Gelso and frequent Celtics beat host Ty Ray. Visit iTunes or Stitcher and listen to Nick and Ty as they talk food, comedy, pop culture, and more. That's beatsandeats.net. Well, welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Well, great opening night win for the Celtics. What stood out to you in particular? Well, I have to say the balance. I mean, across the board, the way this team is playing right now, it's not just one guy. They're not looking for one of their guys to go out and score 35 points or grab 20 rebounds like some of the other teams in this league. They're looking to win with balance. And you saw it last night, eight guys in double figures. That's an unbelievable number. All of them scored between 10 and 19 points. And then you've got contributions across the board on defense. You've got Marcus Smart coming off the bench, grabbing four steals. Some other guys, I mean, you look at Brandon Bass, this is a guy who starters for the team when they went to the 2012 conference final he's coming off the bench now and he's got a bunch of other weapons along with him so i think balance one through ten this team is going to be really competitive there's not going to be much of a drop off when Brad Stevens goes that second unit okay well despite the tough season last year the fans seemed really engaged and energized on, on wednesday what was it like to be there in person oh it was great i mean obviously the Celtics are in a rebuilding mode right now and, you know, it's tough for fans, you know, in any sport, in any arena, it's tough to go out and, and support your team when you know that they're not exactly competing for championships right now. But I think that this fan base in Boston understands that situation. I think they also understand that this team right now, I mean, if you watched that game last night, it was entertaining. You, you cannot watch that game and tell me that it was not fun to watch that Celtics team play. That's what I wrote about last night. It's going to be a fun team to watch. I think you could feel that. With the people in the arena, it was another sellout. I think they enjoyed their time. I think the, the rest of the fans that fill in to TD Garden throughout the season are going to enjoy their time as well. And the fans gave KG a nice reception when the starting lineups were announced, and then he got a, and then they got a chance to chant his name a bit when he got into the middle of a little scuffle between Kelly Olynyk and Alan Anderson. Yeah. It sure seems like part of KG's heart is still here in Boston. Do you get that sense? Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I was actually the one person who got to see him uh, walking out of the arena last night. No one else was with him uh, along the way, but he was he was actually, believe it or not, he was lost. He had no idea how to get to the next team bus. Didn't know where he was going. He's wandering the hallways. But as I walked with him, he stopped and he was saying hello and slapping up every single person, security guard, 
old people who used to work for the team, you know, people who still work for the team as ball boys. He was talking to everyone. You can just tell that he's playing in Brooklyn, but his heart is in Boston. There's no doubt about it. Wow. So earlier, um, Rich and I were talking about KG and some of the comments he made about Coach uh, Brad Stevens' scheme. So did anything stand out to you schematically, and um, how do you think the team's approach differs maybe from what uh, what he did last season? Yeah, well, what I think the biggest difference between this season and last season, I think Brad admitted the one thing that he did not do last year is hone in on a rotation. I mean, any night you could see anyone from 1 to 12 getting out on that floor. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. I think he is going to go 10 deep, and on some nights he might tighten that down to 8 or 9. And that's what we used to see with Doc Rivers. I mean, if you want to win in this league, you've got to play your best players, and you've got to find out who those best players are. I think Brad has done a much better job of that so far this season, you know, heading through preseason and through night one. I think he's got a much better idea of who he's going to put onto the court and have a very consistent rotation this time around. And one of the big stories Wednesday night was, of course, that point guard Rajon Rondo kind of defied the initial estimates for how long his hand injury would keep him out and was able to suit up for the opener. He looked pretty good for a guy that, that missed the, pre- the preseason. How did he look to you, particularly in comparison with how he looked after returning from the ACL injury last season? Yeah, well, when I, w- I went back and looked at the numbers yesterday when I had a kind of an inkling that he was going to get out there on the court. And I saw that last year when he came back from that knee injury, it took him five games to reach double figures in the point column. It took him seven games to reach double figures in the assist column. He did both of those last night in his first game, and he almost did it in the rebounding column too. So it's pretty impressive what he did last night. He, he looked like he didn't miss a beat. He honestly looked like he was out there all preseason, had all those exhibition games under his belt. I think he really capitalized this time around on his ability to work out on the floor, not necessarily with contact during practice, but he's been out there with these guys for a good two or three weeks running through drills, running the offensive scheme. So I think he's got a much better grasp on not only Brad Stevens' system, but also the players that are around him this, this year as opposed to last year when he came back from that foreign ACL. Okay, okay. So we, you, you talked a little bit about Rondo as a positive. Um, what would you say the biggest positive takeaways that you had um, uh, from the opener? Well, it's tough to say because there were so many positives to draw from. I mean, last night, no one's talking about Kelly Olenek. He's the one who led the team in scoring. You know, he shot 8 of 14 from the field. Had a really nice game. But the biggest positive to me had to be Marcus Smart. I mean, this guy, he's the number six overall pick. This is the guy who the Celtics are looking to be a building block of this organization. And he did not look like a rookie last night. I mean, you guys can tell. You watched the game last night. He seemed like he he was supposed to be out there. He was meant to be an NBA basketball player. And I don't know if you guys watched that specific play where he just picked the pocket of Darren Williams in a one-on-one situation. There aren't many veterans that can do that. And this is a rookie playing in his very first NBA game. Completely picked the pocket of Darren Williams. Williams looked like he had no idea what was going on out there. (laughs) And and, uh, Smart takes it the other way for two. But just the way that he kind of seamlessly fit into this team and looked like he belonged, he looked like an NBA player, I think that's what you want to see out of a rookie, not only in his rookie season, but on the first night. That was really impressive from him. Yeah, I thought his uh, opening night performance was so far one of the more impressive rookie debuts. Uh, you know, uh, the stat line didn't necessarily blow you away except for the four steals, but just really the energy he really brought to the team, and I know that's a, that's a big thing that they're, they're really looking for. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, Brad Stevens has talked about it since day one, that what he thinks that Marcus Smart has, and he, he actually said this yesterday, that he's the most unique player that he's ever coached in the fact that he can raise the energy level of his teammates. And I think that's exactly what he did. I mean, you can tell if you're around this kid, he's got energy. He's always positive. He's always smiling. He's having fun. He does that on the court as well. When he's bringing it at the defensive end the way Avery Bradley used to, to get Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, those guys jacked up, I think that's what Marcus Smart's going to do for this team. And the Celtics face off against Dwight Howard, James Harden, and the Houston Rockets tonight. Are there any specific matchups that you think fans should be looking for tonight? Yeah, well, I actually have talked to Jared Solinger about that specific matchup down low against Dwight <laughs> Howard because obviously, as we know, Jared Solinger and Kelly Olynyk they're not exactly your prototypical centers. So they're going to be facing off a guy who they're going to, the Rockets are going to pound the ball down and him on the block, and these guys are going to have to figure out a way to stop him. And, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing if Jared Solinger and Kelly Olynyk have taken the strides defensively that the coaching staff has said that they've made. We haven't really seen it yet this season because these guys have been facing off against perimeter players. You know, Kevin Garnett, he's, he's playing 15 to 20 feet from the basket. Same thing um, with some other uh, centers that's in power forwards they faced during the preseason. So I'm looking forward to see if they can handle their own against Dwight Howard. Stoninger seemed to think that he's pretty confident in the way that he's going to handle it. I can't wait to see it tomorrow night. So um, is there anything that you think the Celtics can take specifically from opening night and, 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 and take into the Rockets game and build upon? Yeah, well, it's got to be just the, the way that they played. I mean, they were playing with energy. They were playing with passion. And when you're a team that doesn't have the level of talent, I mean, let's face it, we don't have Dwight Howard on the Celtics team. We don't have Gene Harden on the Celtics team. We've got a bunch of guys who, when they come together collectively and they play their tails off, and they leave it all out on the court for 48 minutes, that's how they're going to win basketball games. That's what they got a reputation for last season. I think that's the only way that they're going to continue to build on last season is if they bring that energy each and every night this time around as well. Now, you mentioned Dwight Howard and the challenge he kind of poses down low. Are there some other specific challenges that you think this Rockets team and the way they play presents, particularly for the Celtics? Yeah, well, I think you look back to the days when Dwight Howard was in Orlando, the way that they operated that offense when Sam Van Gundy was coaching was they pounded into Dwight Howard on the block, and then they had three-point shooters surrounding him so that he could draw the double team, sometimes even a triple team, and kick out. Well, the Rockets have a similar uh, offense that they run through Kevin McHale, but then on top of that, they don't just have three-point shooters. They've got someone who might be the best shooting guard in the league in James Harden, guy who knows how to get to the free-throw line and get free points. So I think that's going to be extremely difficult for this Celtics team to be able to handle. It's a tight line to walk when you're trying to double down on a guy like Dwight Howard, but you're also trying to guard the perimeter and a guy like James Harden who can put up 25 and that should be a tough challenge. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really uh, looking forward to seeing what Avery Bradley is able to do with Harden. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, the, the Rockets should be a great test to see uh, how much, you know, the Celtics can, can carry over um, for the rest of the season. Um, but where do you have the Rockets in the West? Do you think they're legitimate championship contenders? You know what? I, I'm curious to see where they're going to go this season because, as we all know, they lost a huge, huge piece this offseason in Chandler Parsons. He might have been the reason why they were as good as they were last year. Everyone looked at Dwight Howard and uh, James Harden, but you know you've got to have that third wheel, and Chandler Parsons was that third wheel. He's a great passer, a great defender. He's a guy who can play multiple positions, but he's not there anymore. So we've got to figure out how this Rockets team 
is going to operate without him. Obviously, they brought in Trevor Ariza this summer, and he's a pretty darn good player in his, in his own right. And you know, he can hit the three-point shot. He knows how to play off the ball. Uh, I think he's going to fit in pretty well with this team. But with that being said, that's a huge new new piece that they're going to need to work into the rotation. And I don't think we're going to know how that's going to work out until we're a couple months into the season. And Celtic fans are accustomed to those brutal Texas trips that the team would usually take on in February. Does it feel kind of strange to be going into Texas so early this season and not hitting Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio all on the same trip? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a, usually you're playing a few teams in the Eastern uh, time frame. Now we're going straight from opening night and flying all the way out to Texas. This does not usually happen. I think it's a good thing for this team, though. You know, the coaches and players always say that they can build their team character when they go on the road. I think this is a good opportunity for the Celtics to do so, especially after a night where they're, they're coming off of a 15-point win on opening night. They can try to gain momentum on that by doing the same thing on the road against, against a couple of pretty darn good basketball teams. Yeah, so we, we've talked a lot about the starters, and, and you mentioned Marcus Smart as well, you know, coming off the bench. Um, but, but I wanted to focus a little bit on the bench for a minute. Um, the Celtics bench had a, a strong showing opening night. You know, um, I, I particularly noticed Evan Turner. Um, he came in, and, you know, he was essentially the rondo of the bench, um, just, just kind of with his all-around performance. Um, so how do you think the Celtics bench matches up with the Rockets bench? And I guess in particular, maybe if you could um, uh, talk a little bit about Turner and, and what you think he might bring to the team this year. Yeah, I'll start out with Turner, actually, because he's, he's intrigued me since day one. I love what this guy brings to the table. And to be honest with you, I was a little bit uh, apprehensive about what he was going to be able to bring to the table once Rondo did come back because the ball was in Turner's hands all throughout the preseason. And as we know, when Rondo's on the court, the ball's in Rondo's hands. So Turner needed to figure out a way to play off of the ball. And I thought he did a very good job of that last night. He still made some plays off the dribble. You know, he contributed in all three categories, points, rebounds, and assists. So I think that he's going to be able to figure it out. He's, he's just a smart guy. I think he'll be able to do it. And then around him, I, I really like what the Celtics have. They've got Brandon Bass, such a versatile guy on defense and on offense. He's even starting to shoot three-pointers this year. We saw that during the preseason. But he's, I think any contender would love to have a guy like Brandon Bass on their team. We already mentioned Marcus Smart and his defense. I think he'll also be able to contribute at the offensive end. But then the big-time offensive guy that's in the second unit, Marcus Thornton. I think a lot of people didn't really pay attention to when the Celtics acquired him this summer. This guy can fill it up with the best of them. I mean, he put up 42 points last season. If you watch the game tape of that film, I mean, this guy can pretty much do everything on offense, and he's very, very sneaky in the way that he can get to the basket. He looks like he's a lot. He reminds me a little bit of Paul Pierce, where he looks like he's got a little baby fat. He doesn't look like he's the quickest, fastest guy on, on the court, but some way he always finds a way to get a shot off, and a lot of the times get a shot off right around the basket. Yeah, one of the things that actually impressed me about Thornton the other night, and granted it's only one game, but I thought he showed a lot of effort defensively, too, off the bench. Um, that was a little bit of a surprise for me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can tell you that I was just talking to the next uh, sideline reporter last night for Yes, and she was asking me what I thought of Marcus Thornton, and the first thing I said was, you know, he's, he's a great person off the court, but secondly, he's really surprised me with the effort that he gives on, on the court. Uh, this is a guy who's played the majority of his career out west with the Sacramento Kings. So us here on the East Coast, we haven't necessarily gotten to watch a lot of his basketball. 
But, man, he surprised me during the preseason with the effort that he gives on both ends of the court, not only defensively, but, I mean, this guy's attacking loose balls for rebounds. I really think that he's going to be able to be a key piece for the team off the bench. So, um, I guess the only bench performer that we haven't really talked about yet is uh, Tyler Zeller. And, you know, mm-hmm. he, he played the least. He only played six minutes, but he got six points in those six minutes. And uh, we were talking earlier about how um, – he seems to fit well with Rajon Rondo off of those pick and rolls where Rondo's able to cut and, and really spoon feed him for the buckets. Um, what, what do you see Zeller being able to contribute to the team? Yeah, I think Zeller's going to be a nice little piece for this team coming off the bench. And Brad has already talked about it. The Wednesday night was kind of a little bit of an, anom- an anomaly with the lead that the Celtics had. The Brooklyn Nets kind of went small ball. And Brad was really worried about them hitting three pointers and getting to the free throw line and being able to get back in the game. That's the only reason why Tyler Zeller only had six minutes. This kid's going to play, I'm guessing, about 15 to 20 minutes a night on any given night. And like you said, he really seems like he can make things happen in that pick and roll with Rondo. We all know that Rondo's going to find you if you're open. And if you set a good screen and you roll hard to the rim, which Tyler Zeller is known for doing, he's going to find open layups time and time again. Rajon Rondo's going to find him. And what we've seen out of Zeller since it's probably about the third or fourth preseason game he can finish. He can finish around the basket with both hands. That's a big positive for the team. I think he's going to wind up scoring a lot of easy buckets around the paint. Yeah, especially with with Rondo around. And speaking of Rondo, the Rockets have been frequently mentioned as a potential landing spot for Rondo if the Seas do decide to move him or via free agency, should it come to that. How much attention do you think that story gets tonight? Or has that talk kind of taken a back seat now that the season is underway? Yeah, I think it's going to take a back seat, to be quite honest with you. I mean, the Celtics have done a great job over the last couple of years. Rumors have been coming out from other channels. They haven't been coming from Rondo, and they haven't been coming from Celtics. So they're coming from someone else. It, it sounds to me like Rondo and the Celtics want to pair each other together. In the future, Rondo has pretty much said that he wants to be back in Boston. Danny Ainge and, and the Celtics ownership group, they've said that they want Rondo to be back in a Celtics uniform after this season. So... I think they're going to push that stuff on the back burner. Obviously, it's going to creep up from time to time, especially when that February trade deadline starts to run around. But until then, I think Rondo's in green, and I think the Celtics are ready to have him be the captain of this franchise. Okay, well, he'll have to uh, captain through uh, some pretty rough waters to start the season. I mean, November is just a brutal month for the Celtics. I mean, they're at Houston, at Dallas, at Chicago. They play Cleveland. They play Chicago again. They play San Antonio. Um, What would you consider a successful month uh, for this team heading into December? Well, yeah, you want to talk about a litmus test. That'll tell you where you're at, right? You know, if, if you want to compete for the playoffs, you want to try to compete for a championship, this month is going to tell you where you're at. And I don't think that the Celtics are going to blow anyone out of the water that they, the way that they did Wednesday night in the opener. But I think the, the positive thing that they need to take out of this month is being competitive. I don't think Brad Stevens is going to harp on wins and losses, particularly this month, facing off against so many great teams. I mean, there's... Those teams that you mentioned, those are title contenders. Those teams can win the NBA championship this season. The Celtics, they'd love to grab wins against those teams, and they'd love to come out of this month with a winning record. Who knows if that'll happen, but what I want to see is just that they can compete on a high level night in and night out with these teams. Obviously, there's going to be a rough night here or there, but overall, if this team can compete, I think that means that guys like Jared Sollinger, guys like Kelly Olenek, Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart, those guys have taken steps forward in their development. 
if the Celtics team can compete with these, these teams that we believe are title contenders. Yeah, one last question before we let you go, Mark. One guy that we haven't talked about at all is Jeff Green. He flew a little under the radar opening night. Do you think there's less pressure on him with all the other storylines surrounding the team than you know maybe there have been the past couple of seasons? And do you think that will help him you know maybe kind of feel a little bit more relaxed and, and maybe kind of grow into that role that I think some folks have expected of him? Yeah, you know what? That's, that's an interesting perspective that you brought up. And now that that, that really does make sense because uh, you know, last season, we're going into the first season without Kevin Garnett and Paul Pearson. Everyone's looking at the Celtics franchise, and who's going to be the guy? Who's going to be the guy, especially with Rajon Rondo missing the first half of the season? Jeff Green was that guy, and everyone was looking to him to be an all-star caliber player and score 18 to 20 points a night. Uh, that pressure's not really on him this year. I think the Celtics fan base and the Celtics in general they're looking at the other guys on this team. They want to see Jared Sollinger do big things. They want to see Kelly Olynyk take a step forward. And then you've got the rookies, Marcus Smart and James Young. We all want to see what those guys can bring to the table. So I don't think there's quite as much pressure on Jeff Green. And we've all seen in the past, Green plays his best ball when he's not necessarily, necessarily relied upon to lead the team forward. He plays his best basketball when he was in Oklahoma City is kind of the third wheel behind Westbrook and behind Durant. When he was with the Celtics playing behind Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Rajon Rondo, I think that he can be at his best this season. You know, he's going to be one of the top options on this offense, but he's not going to be the optioner. I think that's the difference for him. Yeah, I think back to one of, if not the most impressive performance in his Celtics career was that game against Miami after you know, Rondo had suffered the injury against Atlanta and it was learned he was going to be out. There was so much attention on Rondo's injury and, you know, what's that going to mean for Paul Pierce and, and Kevin Garnett? And he just kind of came out of nowhere and, and, and went toe-to-toe with LeBron that night and, and had a great game. And, you know, I think that, that attention being focused elsewhere will, will, will really help him. Yeah, well, I, I think pe- people think about that game every time they think about Jeff Green and they say, why can't this guy do this every <laughs> night? And, you know, I think the same thing. I, I wish that he could watch that film for 20 minutes before every tip-off, <laughs> every single night, and just remind him, hey, this is the kind of ability that you have to get to the basket, throw down, dunk, finish through contact. Um, you know, obviously he hasn't necessarily played at that level, and no one does on a consistent basis, scoring 40-plus points against LeBron James in the Miami Heat, but you know, I think Jeff Green's going to be just just fine on this team. He's going to be a good top option, and he's going to try to bring in a both ends of the court, and I think that's what Brad Stevens wants out of him. Well, Mark D'Amico, Celtics.com. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark underscore D'Amico, and that's Mark with a C. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Mark. All right, guys. I appreciate it. Hopefully I can be back on soon. Great. We'd love to have you on. Well, I love the conversation about the matchups in tonight's game. Which matchups in particular are you going to be looking at most closely tonight? Yeah, for me, um, like I mentioned with Mark, it's all about James Harden and Avery Bradley. Um, I've always loved, since Avery Bradley's been on the Celtics, I've loved watching him match up with the very high-scoring, very athletic, um, kind of 6'3", 6'4", 6'5"-ish type shooting guards. Um, used to be Dwayne Wade. I, I always just wanted to see Bradley just get inside Dwayne Wade's jock and just follow him all over. And, and, and now it's James Harden. I think, as you mentioned, he, he very well might be the best shooting guard in the NBA right now. So I really want to see what Bradley can do with him. 
Yeah, Bradley was kind of another guy who flew under the radar a, bri- a bit opening night. Uh, you know, his outside shot looked pretty good, and you know he was out there playing tough defense on Deron Williams and and for a while on Joe Johnson, but uh, you know didn't have the same type of flashy impact that Rondo and and Smart did. Uh, but that's something I'll be interesting to see. I could I think this game would be one where you know, you're really going to be focusing a lot on Bradley. Of course, Mark talked about obviously uh, assuming uh, Sellinger is going to match up with with Dwight Howard. And if you recall, last year, uh, Sellinger had a uh, uh, kind of an epic uh, showdown with Boogie Cousins out in Sacramento. And I think we could maybe see another one of those tonight. And if you remember in the past, uh, Glenn Davis actually had had some success with his, uh, shall we say, low center of gravity uh, against Dwight Howard. And uh, I can see Sellinger kind of matching up with him in a similar way. Uh, It'll be interesting for me, though, to see how the Celtics match up with Terrence Jones. I think he's a guy that's really a little bit uh, unnoticed on this Rockets team, particularly now with with Chandler Parsons gone. They're really going to be leaning on him as kind of that probably primary third piece alongside Harden and, and Howard. And he had a pretty good game opening night. Uh, pulled down, I think, I think it was 13 rebounds. Actually out-rebounded uh, Dwight Howard. And he's got range out out to three. And that should be an interesting matchup, I would assume, uh, either with Kelly Olenek or um, maybe even Jeff Green. Um, of course, the Rockets, you know, with that big hole at the three right now, um, you know, they're kind of trying to plug it a little bit with, uh, with Trevor Ariza. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how the Celtics work those those matchups and then of course uh, Rondo will be matched up with a little bit of a, a pit bull that the uh, the Rockets have in their backcourt one of my favorite players non-Celtic players in, in Patrick Beverly yeah no I, I agree like really from top to bottom there's some interesting matchups here because in a lot of ways Outside of Dwight Howard, the Rockets are kind of built for the Celtics defense, right? Because Beverly is a pit bull himself on defense, but he's not a huge scoring threat, which plays to the strengths of, of Rondo and, and Smart being ball hawks and maybe being able to, to try to be more disruptive to keep him from getting his teammates involved. And then, of course, you've got Bradley, kind of their one-on-one specialist against Harden, who's their best player and maybe the best at that position in the league. Um, Ariza is kind of a jack-of-all-trades, just like Jeff Green, so that's an interesting matchup. And as you mentioned, Terrence Jones, is he's a four, but he also can move out to the perimeter. And I think the Celtics bigs are, are maybe more comfortable on the perimeter. So, yeah, the, the only one that on paper anyway might be a mismatch is, is Howard versus Sully. And um, like you, I was thinking, you know, I've, I've seen Big Baby do some things with, with, with Howard because, honestly, Howard, he doesn't have a lot of moves. He's just absurdly athletic and big <laughs> and so if you get somebody with that, that low center of gravity that's able to push his legs out and, and keep him from getting set up near the rim where he could just go up and dunk you know sometimes it gives him trouble so and, and Howard also missed um, a good chunk of the preseason with injuries and so you know you mentioned the other night Jones out rebounded him he's a little rusty so who knows maybe the Celtics uh, can, can swoop in and, and, and take advantage as well. Yeah, and we all know that Howard is can be easily prone to you know, having his buttons push, pushed and getting frustrated, and and like of course, yeah, and and Sullinger obviously has a little bit of that edge to him. So I think that'll be a, a little bit of an interesting subplot. And the Rockets, of course, made a big play at bringing Chris Bosh in to be that third star to play alongside Howard and Harden. And in the process, they lost Chandler Parsons to the Mavs. How much do you think that sets them back in the Western Conference this season? Yeah, it's really interesting. Parsons is one of those guys that um, 
being kind of the analytical approach. The analytical community loves him. He's just he, he he seems perfect. He can shoot. He he doesn't he puts a lot of things on the table and doesn't bring a lot off. And so that was certainly a, a potential area of concern, I think, for them coming into the year. I think that Ariza was an interesting replacement. He's another, he's more of, he's, I don't think he's quite the consistent shooter that Parsons is. He's more streaky, but he might be a little more athletic, and he can do a lot of the same things. So I think they're hoping that he can replicate much of what Parsons gave them. And then, as you mentioned, a guy like Terrence Jones, who's really young but, but showed signs last year, that maybe he can step up and, 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 kind of help them get to the next level. Um, a guy that we haven't mentioned yet that, um, you know, is close to your heart now because uh, he moved on from Houston and now he's, he's playing in New Orleans is um, the big man. Omer Sheik. Yeah, Omer Sheik. He's, he's, you know, there was some redundancy with him and Howard there, but he kept Howard from having to play every minute and they were always able to have a dominant defensive big out there. So in some ways I wonder if his – you know, being missing, that, that they might end up missing him more than they end up missing um, uh, missing Parsons. Yeah, the thing with Parsons for me is he was that great balance of a guy who didn't need the focus of the offense to be on him. He could be very opportunistic and, and like you said, get streaky and, 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 and put up some, some numbers offensively, while at the same time when things did bog down and maybe Howard or Harden were off that night, he could be more aggressive and, and play a larger role, and he, he seemed to really fit that with them perfectly and you know as you mentioned Ariza I think Ariza doesn't certainly need the ball need to be the focus uh, so he's got that part of it but I don't think he's got that same level of capability of if Harden's having an off night or Howard's in one of his funk of you know being able to step up and be more aggressive and and you know Parsons I think too was a lot better creating his own offense and if you think about the Rockets obviously you know James Harden draws a lot of attention and, and from that standpoint helps create offense for other guys but they don't have that that classic creator at the point guard position and so right. guys are kind of you know uh, expected to do it on their own a little bit more and, and Parsons had that ability really to you know, create his own offense off the bounce where I, I don't think really Ariza has that particularly at this point in his career where it seems like he's settling in to be more of a, a spot up you know spacer uh, you know out with the with the corner three as being his you know primary offensive weapon. Yeah, the dirty word alert. Uh, Parsons was able to facilitate for yes, that team. there you go. <laughs> and speaking of Bosch, he had a big game with 26 points and 15 rebounds in the Heat's opening night win over Paul Pierce and the Wizards. And people forget that Bosch averaged what was it, something like 24-11 and 11 before joining forces with Wade and LeBron in Miami. If he can be anything approximating a legit number one option, there's another one of those code words, and and top 15 or 20 player along that front line, the Heat can still be a dangerous team in my mind. Do you see Bosch returning to that type of form and the, the Heat being a threat in the East? Yeah, I really do. Um, you know, when we were doing our, our predictions a couple weeks ago, um, and I initially forgot Miami, and I was kind of kicking myself on the air because I really do think that they could be a lot better than, than people realize because when LeBron was there, he was the best player in the NBA, but it kind of forced Bosch and Wade to both take a step back. And with Wade, some of it was health. And so I don't know how much he can recover. But with Bosch, there was really no reason for him not to be more like he was in Toronto, except for that he was playing in more of a deferential position. And so in Toronto, he was able to put up some big numbers, but 
just, and this is me trying to play armchair psychiatrist from a distance, but he never seemed to be quite as confident on the big stage. You know, a lot of times I would notice when he would match up with Garnett. I mean, <laughs> Garnett would almost act a fool. He'd be taking crazy defensive stances and barking in his ear and doing all types of things that seemed to visibly fluster uh, Bosch. And so I think this process of, of all of everything that came with being part of the Miami Heat extravaganza the last uh, four years and, and being able to be a part of two championship teams and two other teams that made it to the finals, I think they really helped to grow Bosch up. And, and Bosch is, is younger than Wade was. They were all part of that same draft class, but Bosch came out after his freshman year, whereas Wade was a little bit older. So Bosch is still in that kind of peak range as far as NBA playing career. So, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting big things out of him this year. You know, my work at Rotowire is, is, is fantasy basketball, and I made sure to get Chris Bosch on quite a few teams because I think he's, he's going to have a big year. Well, that music means it's time for Around the NBA in 5. Buckle up, folks. This is going to be a wild ride. Let's start with the biggest opening week surprise. Who do you have, Dre? You know, the biggest surprise for me is that there haven't been any surprises. You know, that <laughs> if you look at the standings, all it's, it's, it's chalk. All the teams that are supposed to win have been winning. All the teams that are supposed to lose have been losing. It's like after a couple games, you could almost uh, call the season now and start the playoffs. And so to me, that's a bit of a surprise. I'm going to actually go with Rondo. I think the fact that he made it back for opening night and, you know, uh, as as much as the the talk around the league and in the media about him has been negative, you know, he really kind of came in and did a workmanlike job and, and is starting to, you know, he's not probably not even fully 100% yet, but certainly looked, you know, to be in better condition than he was last year upon his return and really just kind of seemed to fit in seamlessly to what, what Coach Brad Stevens was trying to do. So that was, that was my biggest surprise. All right. Well, I hate to ask you this next question because I know you're going to take my answer. <laughs> but what was the most in- impressive individual performance you've seen so far? Oh, come on. You know what I'm going to go with. Anthony Davis, are you kidding me? Almost a triple-double <laughs> with blocks. This is going to be a guy who's going to get a quadruple-double at some point soon, if not this season, sometime in the next couple. You know, when you think about his ability on both ends of the court, his ability to score the basketball and to put up nine blocks in a game is just, just simply amazing. And, and I have to give him my hats off for the week so far. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can agree with that. Um, for me, I, I'm, I'm going to go back to Miami. Um, I, I thought Chris Bosh was really impressive um, just, you know, numerically. I mean, he had 26 points, 15 boards, 4 assists, led the team in all three categories. But more than that, it, it seemed to me almost like it was a statement the game. That, hey, you know, I'm going to be the rock of this team. Dwayne Wade was able to score a lot of points late and, and to, to, to kind of bring his own stat line up. But um, it, it really looks like Bosch is the man in Miami this year. And you, you take that and you put Wade, as a if he's healthy, as a strong lieutenant, the guys like Luol Dang as his third options, you know. I, I think Miami could be interesting, and it, especially if, if Bosch keeps performing like he did on the opener. Most impressive rookie debut. Mm, you know what? I'm going to go with Marcus Smart. Nice. You know, limited minutes, but the way he was able to just kind of come in and, and change the complexion of the game. You know, it's, it's not always just about the the box score stats, but the way he came in in, in less than it was like half a game, he came in and, and had four steals and just changed the way that the Nets tried to bring the ball up the court. I thought that was extremely impressive, and I thought he looked really comfortable. 
Yeah, no, you know, I was on the offense between Marcus Smart and, and who I'll go with my real choice, so you, you tipped me over the edge. I'm going to go with Doug McDermott of the Bulls. Uh, had a nice game shooting the ball. Uh, I think it was 12 points or 13 points in, in you know, um, pretty good minutes. I think he got right out of the gate, and I think he could be um, one of the missing pieces for that Bulls team, which has struggled to score the basketball in the past, and we all know that's, that's Dougie McBucket's strength. Exactly. A couple of unsung rookies and, and not the marquee guys early right. on. So, Phil Jackson's already playing head games in New York, saying the Knicks are not ready for showtime. I mean, this isn't surprising, but will it work? Of course it won't work. You know, that's been one of the biggest, <laughs> to me, one of the biggest NBA media just myths is the whole Zen master thing. You know, at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he, he's a player's coach. He lets his players play. And, you know, I think this trying to, you know, be the Svengali pulling the strings isn't going to play in New York. Uh, and it's certainly not going to play with that cast of characters. I can't see J.R. Smith really giving two hoots about what Bill Jackson really thinks about his play. So, you know, I, I think this is all going to go south very, very quickly in New York City. Yeah, if I recall right, um, we both predicted that Carmelo Anthony might be the the first big name on the trading block this year. And um, after opening night, it certainly seems as though uh, uh, we, we still have our chance to be Nostradamus as far as that goes. Um, yeah, the, the Knicks don't look good at all. I don't know. Their, their, their talent doesn't match the schemes that, in theory, they would want to try. Um, I was listening the other day uh, after the games to uh, – uh, screaming A. Smith uh, on the radio, and he, he was screaming, that wasn't the triangle offense. I don't know what it was. It wasn't the triangle. So, you know, but, I mean, it's a point. Like, I, I don't know what they're trying to do. I don't know that they have the people to do it. So, yeah, it doesn't look good there. And speaking of predictions, we made predictions on the season preview show a few weeks back. Any prediction you'd like to take back now after seeing week one unfold? Um, nothing I'm ready to back off of yet. I guess probably the... The one that looks the worst after week one is, uh, I said Brooklyn was going to contend. And, uh, you know, they, they, did, they didn't show it that uh, first game in Boston, that's for sure. But I'm not quite ready to take it back yet. What about you? I'm going to go in the opposite direction, and I absolutely want this one back. I don't know why I thought the Dallas Mavericks wouldn't make the playoffs this season. That's a very good team down there in Dallas, and they showed it opening night, taking the Spurs to the wire. So please, 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 can I have that one back? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, well, we'll let you take that one back. It's still early. Well, another great show, Dre. I really enjoyed it. All right. Yep, it's always a pleasure. Definitely looking forward to the rest of the season. The real season has begun. I'm so excited. That's right. Well, that'll do it for another edition of CLNS Radio Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Chuck Dietz, Astrovex, and Steph Legratteau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guest, Mark D'Amico of Celtics.com. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, executive producer, Larry H. Russell, my co-host, Andre Snellings of Rotowire, I'm Rich Conti. We'll see you next Saturday with special guest Jay King of Mass Live for another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio.